this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Uh, We've been talking about the fear of the Lord. Um, just to give you guys a, a little background, um, especially if you're new with us this evening, um, a, a few weeks ago I started teaching on Naaman and uh, his story in Second Kings, uh, chapter five. But more interesting, more interesting to me than the actual cleansing of the leper, Naaman in Second Kings chapter five, was the story of Gehazi. And we talked a little bit about this last week, so I'm just giving a little bit of review. But Gehazi was positioned to be Elijah's successor, just like Elijah was positioned was Elijah's successor. And we remember that Elijah received a double portion of what was on Elijah. And so my study of scripture with Gehazi positioned to receive from Elijah, I believe that he was entitled to a double portion of what was on Elijah's life. But rather than following closely to what the Lord had for him, he missed out and he didn't finish his race well. He actually wound up, instead of receiving a double portion, he received God's curse because of the greed that manifested in his heart, his sense of entitlement. And what we talked about um, last week was essentially a lack of the fear of the Lord. And that positioned me to really kind of make some prophetic statements that I believe regarding our community and what's taking place here on Sunday nights and in context of our community of Pagosa Springs, that there was going to be a return to this foundational teaching on the fear of the Lord that was going to marry itself with the move of God in our community. Um, and so with that being said, that was kind of the backdrop for what launched what I am preparing to uh, say is going to be a multi-week study on the fear of the Lord. This morning in service, I talked about how the fear of the Lord is foundational to the relationship of God with the, in the life of the believer. Essentially, what we looked at was the fact that uh, at the basis of everything, before we're even able to love God rightly, we see this concept of the fear of the Lord uh, existing. It's actually when God gives instruction to Israel back in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, he says that you're first to fear God and then love him and obey his commandments. It was this kind of crazy thing. And we, we, we had to separate this notion of fearing God from being scared of God, right? Because when, when we read in the New Testament, we see all these crazy examples of God casting out fear, right? And instructions for us to not be afraid. In fact, 1 John chapter 4 tells us that uh, perfect love casts out fear, right? Uh, in, in the book of First John, it tells us that per- perfect love casts out fear. So how then do we reconcile this notion that we're supposed to fear God? In fact, uh, an interesting comparison actually exists in Exodus chapter 20 when Moses takes the people of Israel to Mount Sinai and delivers the Ten Commandments. What I really believe that was a picture of uh, Israel, uh, God, Moses, wow, <laughs> Moses was bringing the people of God back to the place of his first encounter. 
You remember the burning bush? Uh, That happened outside of Sinai, and I believe what was in the heart of Moses was that he wanted the people to have that same kind of encounter that he had with the Lord. But you remember he comes down off of the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and it says that he comes down with lightnings and thunderings and peals of thunder, and the people are terrified, right? They're like scared. They're hiding out in their tents. They're running away. And, uh, And Moses says, fear not. God has come to in this manner to test to see if his fear is in you. And they say, nope, we don't want none, Moses. You talk to God for us and tell us what he says. Peace, we're out. Right? I believe they missed out on such a glorious opportunity for that relational encounter that Moses had. And they settled for a messenger when they could have had the message himself. But the, the, what, what, it, what it boils down to is that they were terrified of God. And, and it was just this crazy statement that Moses makes. Fear not. He tells them, don't be afraid. God has come in this way to see if his fear is in you. And there's a separation there between a spirit of fear and where we're terrified, like we would be of spiders or like the stock market crashing or somebody leaving us or talking to that girl we really like, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's your number one, Teresa? Oh, okay. We, we, we were going to lay hands on you and pray for you right now. It would be great. No. But you guys understand what I'm talking about, that there, we looked and uh, we discovered that there was a separation between just being afraid of God and being scared of him because that's not the mentality that we're to have. We're, we're able to approach his throne with boldness now based on what Jesus did. And the fear of God is not even a fear of what he'll do to us. The fear of God is not this notion of that we're afraid of going to hell because the fear of God is never ascribed to something that unbelievers have. Right? We understand that. They're to be afraid of God. They're to actually be scared of God because he is bringing judgment. But friends, in the life of the believer, the fear of the Lord is never this notion that we're scared or terrified of God himself Rather, it's a reverential holiness. Uh, It's a rever... Wow, you guys. It's reverential in nature. I don't know if reverential is a word, but I just used it. And you guys know what I'm saying. It's where we're placing God in reverence. And it's a fear of never being with... It's a fear of ever being without him. The fear is not so much of the character of nature of God himself, but it's a fear of us ever being separated from him. I use the mentality that we hold. It's where we live our life in such a a cautious manner that we never do anything that would hinder our relationship with him. And I understand that's lofty. That's, we're like, that's impossible to obtain, Pastor Nate, uh, is kind of what, we're, what you would think initially and immediately. But I believe that the Lord wants to instill with us a holy desire and a reverential fear of who God is and how good he is that we would never want to deviate from what he has for us. Does that make sense? So that's a little bit of the primer. That's a little bit of the backdrop of where we went. And that's a little bit of the foundation of what we're talking about when we're talking about the fear of the Lord. But what I felt stirred in my heart to kind of go in this direction, at least with Sunday nights, is that we would establish some practicals on how to grow in the fear of the Lord. 
Did you guys know that this is something that you can actually grow in? I do not fear God like I want to fear God. And, my, and my, 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 my hope would be that you guys don't fear God like you want to fear God. In the same way that I don't love Jesus enough today how I hope I love him tomorrow. And I want 10 years from this moment to love Jesus infinitely more than I do right now. Friends, our relationship with God is ever increasing. We never reach a point of maturity where we have it figured out and we can kind of place our Christian stamp and seal of approval and saying, you know what, we have arrived and things are good. Right? We know that. I believe that we can be more in love with Jesus tomorrow than we are right now. And that's, the, that's my litmus test. It's not how far I've grown or how many books of the Bible I have memorized or the greatest amount of revelation or how many people follow me on Twitter. Nobody follows me on Twitter because I don't use Twitter. Um, <laughs> I think I had one tweet in like 2007. <laughs> but uh, I'm saying all this. I, that was an exaggeration. I don't know when the last time I tweeted Austin. I don't really remember. It was a while back. It was a long time ago. Uh, but I'm saying all this is because we, right, we, we understand that spiritual maturity is not something that we can ever obtain uh, in the sense that, you know what, we have arrived and we are the most spiritually mature and there's no more growth. In fact, I would reckon to say the more spiritual spiritually mature we are, the greater the need we recognize for Jesus working in our life. Um, because when I, if you would have told me some of the things that I struggle with today, when I first gave my life to the Lord 13 years ago, I might not be like, <laughs> I might have been like, you're crazy. I don't want to do that if I'm, that's what I'm struggling with. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm saying it's a, it's a continuous journey, and I believe that I can love Jesus more tomorrow than I do today. And I look back, and that's how I stay in love. That's how I stay growing with Jesus. Because if you can ever look back on any point of your life and say, you know what, I wish I loved Jesus like I did back then, friends, you're in a dangerous place. Because today you should be more in love with Jesus than you ever have been the rest of your life. And I believe that there's something we can do about it if you would say, you know, when I was in middle school, I was definitely more in love with Jesus than I am right now. Friends, I believe the Lord can do something and wants to do something in your life and in your heart to where that's not the case. But anyway, Acts chapter 9 uh, is where I want you guys to turn very briefly, um, particularly verses 31 and 32. They're some of my favorite verses of Scripture. And I just want to establish this truth from the very beginning, that the fear of the Lord is not just an Old Testament Old Covenant idea. Some people have this idea that as New Covenant, as, as believers in Jesus, under what God has done by his blood, that we do not have to live in the fear of the Lord. And that, friends, that is utter nonsense. <laughs> there is this reverential fear. There is this kind of, there is this holy sense of awe that we should have anytime we approach the Lord. Um, anytime that we come into his presence, anytime we come into his word, anything that we do in life should be motivated and encouraged by this concept of the fear of the Lord. And that did not die out uh, with, with uh, the new covenant coming. In fact, I would say that it even increases when you read things like, uh, like the book of Hebrews. <laughs> um, and uh, particularly, I wanted to read... 
Acts chapter 9, verses 31 and 32. It says, The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. This is talking about the early church. This is after, actually, uh, Paul experiences his conversion. And it says, And it became stronger, the church became stronger, as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Friends, my, my church growth strategy <laughs> right, because I'm a senior pastor, I'm supposed to have one of those. I got to figure out how to get people in the seats. Um, <laughs> right, it's not like mass marketing and a great email like <laughs> that that I send out, or it's not a great big billboard. I mean, if God ever told us to do that, we would do it, but He's not. The simple basis for like effective church growth is found here in in uh, in Acts chapter nine, is that they lived in the fear of the Lord. And they experience the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And I believe as we live in the fear of the Lord and as we grow in the fear of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is going to bring encouragement to us and we will see numerical growth. Sometimes I, I hear pastors, and I've been guilty of saying it, is I don't care about the numbers. You know, I don't care about how many people show up. I just want to go deep with God and I want to encounter his presence. And, and while, while, while maybe the basis of that is true, God actually does care about numbers. Did you know that? God cares about who fills these seats because each seat represents a person and each person represents a relationship with him that he desperately wants to have with somebody here in our community. Friends, as long as there are empty seats within any church in Pagosa Springs, it's not okay. Because there's not enough seats in all the churches in Pagosa right now to, to house the entire community. There are people that need Jesus. There are people that need to experience his love, that need to experience the freedom of the Holy Spirit, that are living in bondage. And so I want I wanted to discredit this notion that we're not about numbers. Obviously, friends, I don't, if, there's, if there's a group of us tonight this size, I'm excited there's three of us, I'm excited. If this place is packed out and people are overflowing on, on the outside and we got to do something different, I'm excited because the gospel is going to be preached. But there is this notion that, you know, God is concerned about people coming. God is concerned about people being added to his church. I don't want to make that sound, uh, sound any less important than it actually is. But our church growth strategy is this, is that, you know, we would walk and live in the fear of the Lord, that we'd experience the encouragement of his Holy Spirit, and that he would add to his church, that his church would grow, and that we would see a mighty move of God within our community. So with this being said, I feel like Sunday evenings, um, we're going to kind of go down this road of looking at some practicals of how do we actually live day in and day out in the fear of the Lord. How do we grow in the fear of the Lord? How do we live this out that we might experience the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and we might grow in the fear of the Lord? I don't know about you, but sometimes I have this problem, and there's a lot of pastors that I like to listen to. I listen to podcasts, and we go to churches and whatnot, and sometimes I can hear a pastor or like an influential teacher say something that sounds really good. And it is really good. It could be like one of those, what we called like revelation nuggets, if you've been around like charismatic circles for a while, or like truth bombs. Or I, I think the, this culture would call it like a mic drop, right? Uh, <laughs> some, I don't drop the mic because these are expensive. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> if y'all ever drop my microphone on purpose, I'm going to be upset. Just saying. <laughs> Not this one. I give Arrow, really cute. 
Uh, you guys know Arrow, right? Uh, Adam's little son. Uh, they were here two weeks ago, and he was singing the same song that Teresa was singing tonight, Trimble. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness. And it was really cute. And then, uh, <laughs> but he had this microphone, and then he just threw it across the room. So I gave him one of the microphones that was broken and said, you can use this one. It was adorable. It was awesome. It has nothing to do with my message and what I'm talking about. But sometimes I hear these pastors that, that have these kind of mic drop moments or their sermons can be really good. And I can leave like saying, you know, that was awesome, but I have no idea what it actually means. I have no idea how to actually implement that in my life. And my spirit can be encouraged. And I'm not saying that there isn't time for that. I mean, some of those times that I've had with the Lord, the pastor probably made zero sense. In fact, almost the most of the services that I've been in, I, I, I sat under an amazing preacher, an amazing evangelist. My youth pastor, Pastor Josh Richardson, who used to be here years ago, would bring some fire from the word of God. And I can remember probably like three messages that he preached the entirety of my time under him. I took notes. I'd go back to notes and look at them and be like, man, I don't remember him saying any of this. My times with the Lord that I had the most impactful moments were within the altars, right? Where when I encountered the presence of the Lord, those are the moments that changed me. And the Lord used the word of God to get me to a place where I was receptive of him and what he was doing. Anyway, so all that's good. But there are moments where I feel like, we need some practical teaching, and uh, we need some just clear instruction on, hey, what are some like practicals, some tangibles that I can implement in my day-to-day life that are going to help me with my relationship with Jesus? And so I'm going to give you the first practical of growing in the fear of the Lord this evening, and it's going to be simple. And you may think, you know what, Pastor Nate, that is so simple. I've heard that again and again and again. Where is that revelation nugget? Where is that mic drop? Where is that truth bomb, right? Um, I need something revelatory. I need something new that's going to change my course and my path with Jesus. And I would tell you, friends, that uh, we would be doing the Lord an injustice if we didn't major on some of the simple themes of Scripture. The, some of the simplistic things that we think maybe we have mastered, um, I really think if we were to study them closely, we'd realize how insufficient we are when it comes to what he has offered and what he has taught us. And uh, I, I, want, I want to tell you this. I, we talked about spiritual maturity just a few minutes ago. I, my favorite definition of spiritual maturity, if you guys are taking notes, is this, is that it is repetition of the elementary It's the repetition of the elementary consistently that brings about spiritual maturity. Understand this, friends. God is not so much concerned about the spectacular demonstration of you doing something big for God one time. Or maybe even semi-annually or every other week. God is far more concerned with the day in, the day out, the consistent daily happenings of your life. Are you consistently spending time with him? Are you consistently saying, I love you, Jesus? Are you consistently in this book? Because that's what spiritual maturity looks like. 
It doesn't look like you having the microphone and being able to prophesy and call out everybody's sin or predicting the future. It doesn't look like you having, a, having an instrument and being able to sing the most beautiful song that touches millions of people. Friends, that might be good, and I believe that God uses those things. I'm not trying to diminish those things or diminish the gifting of the Holy Spirit in any sense. But before God's concerned with what you can do on a platform or on a stage or even in the public sphere of ministry, he's looking for men and women that can be consistent in the simple practices, the simple disciplines of being a Christian. And friends, we've missed that as a culture. We've identified anybody that maybe has any inkling of sensitivity to the Lord and we've given a microphone and said, you're called to preach and reach the nations where there's been no demonstration of consistency on the day in and the day out. And I, I know this for, for, for me, friends, I want to know at the end of my days, if I never reach millions of people, if my name's never on a billboard, if I never get invited to speak at the next big conference or, or anything like that, I want to be, know, be able to know that at the end of my days, when I stand before Jesus face to face and I lock eyes with him, that he can say that I did what he asked me to do and that I was faithful and I was consistent. Too many people are attempting to do what God never asked them to do because they're trying to sidestep the route of intimacy. I often teach on how intimacy will give way to intercession, which will cultivate a lasting impact. It's one of my favorite things to teach on. I hit on it again and again and again and again. I call it my three eyes. <laughs> I've preached it since I was a young youth pastor that, that intimacy is foundational. Intimacy with the Lord is where it begins, and that'll give way to the Father's heart where we intercede for what God wants to do in the earth. And that's actually what brings about impact. But so many of us, because we want to make a difference, we want to make a change, and we can even have good motivation behind it, pure motivation. It, cannot, it can even be a thing where we're not self-seeking. It's not that we want to make a name for ourselves. We just want to make a difference. We want to feel validated about what we're doing. We seek to make an impact. We seek to do things big. We seek to do things that will take uh, that, that will change things and take notice. But at the end of the day, our impact is fruitless if it doesn't begin in the place of intimacy. If it doesn't begin in the place of consistency. And so I say this, that spiritual maturity is simply the elementary things of this faith lived out consistently the day in the day out. And that's the soil that God will use for the supernatural. That's the place where we'll see, we'll see the, the supernatural and spectacular, the things that we read about in this book that manifest fruit. Because there's a lot of cool things that are happening right now. I've seen people that have prophesied. I've seen people that have prayed for deaf ears and seen them been opened. I have seen people that have been around where the dead have been raised that are not serving Jesus today. And you might say, you know what, if I saw the dead raised, there's no way I'd ever turn my back on Jesus. Guess what? Judas saw it. And at the end of the day, you can see all the crazy things. You can be a part of the, the mightiest moves of God. And you can still have that Matthew chapter 7 moment where you stand before Jesus and you look at him and say, didn't we do all of this in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we pray for the sick in your name? Didn't we preach your word? Didn't we go on that missions trip? Didn't we show up on Sunday nights and Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and every other time Pastor Nate called a prayer meeting? 
Didn't we do all of this stuff in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Consistency in the elementary is what gives way to spiritual maturity. That's what God's concerned about. So my first practical, man, I took a long time to get to this. <laughs> my first practical for us, and it's very simple, and it's the only point I'm going to make tonight. When it comes to growing in the fear of the Lord, is that we need to have a high regard for the word of the Lord, and we must rightly esteem his word. That if we're going to have the fear of the Lord, we're going to regard his word in a healthy manner. We're going to have a high esteem for it. We're going to fear the God of the word. And so what I mean by that, that's kind of like fancy like pastor language to try to make it sound more intense, is that y'all need to read your Bibles. Like seriously, right? We, we, we know this. Like Sunday school, when we first gave our lives to Jesus, maybe we've grown up in the church or maybe you're new to God. And if you're new to God, guess what? The first thing I'm going to tell you is that you need to get to know this book because in this book, you'll get to know the God of this book and he will move in your life and he will transform your life and he'll change it forever. This book is alive and it's active. It's the very word of God. And it's something that we need to be excited about, friends. Right? We, we kind of have like the, the things like, if you get saved, well, you need to read your Bible, you need to pray, and you probably need to go to church. <laughs> and, and friends, there's really not more to that. There, you can kind of build off that, and there's some, like, God does some cool stuff, and you can kind of teach on whatnot. But at the very basis of it all is that this word is what transforms our life. Because through this word, we get to understand the character and the nature of God. Without this word, we don't have a litmus test to listen to any of the other voices in our life. Friends, I believe God speaks, and I believe God speaks to me by his spirit. He doesn't always speak to me just through this word, but it's because I know this word that I recognize his voice. If you struggle with hearing the voice of the Lord, if you struggle to recognize his will and his purpose for your life, and you're sitting here questioning, God, what do you want me to do? Jump into this book. And if you can't spend time in this book, do not, do not, friends, make major life decisions based upon what the Lord is asking you to do. Because I have encountered so many friends that have made poor decisions because God told them to do something, but I can't trust that they were actually recognizing his voice because they didn't have anything to base what they were hearing upon. And uh, I, something that you need to understand is that the Lord loves to speak to his people, and he loves to speak to him through this word, and without this as a foundation, without this as kind of a, friends, I, I like to talk about it as a filter over my life. That if somebody or something or even if I feel like there's something that needs to take place or happen in my life, if I can't find scriptural basis for it, if I can't find something in this book that affirms that or denies it, friends, I don't listen to it. And I like to let it guard my heart that, God, if you, man, if, should I be doing this? Well, would Jesus have done something like this? Well, no, then I don't want to do something like this. Friends, if we're going to have a fear of the Lord, we're going to have a high regard. We're going to esteem this book enough as what it actually is, the very words of a living God, to actually pick it up and read it. Wow, revelation, mic drop, truth bomb, right? 
Whatever that is. Revelatory. You didn't think I was going to say that tonight. If you want to fear God, read your Bible. But it's the truth. In fact, I have a couple verses of Scripture that um, when we're learning to fear God and we want to grow in fearing God, where we understand that spending time in His Word, spending time in His instruction is actually where that begins to develop, where that actually begins to cultivate. Deuteronomy 31 Uh, beginning in verse 12, it says this, there's the instruction to the people of Israel, they would gather together, and it says, gather the people together, men and women, and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear, and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God, and carefully observe all the words of this law. What they would do is they would actually read the entire first five books of the, they would read the entire law, the Pentateuch, (laughs) it was crazy and they'd have these big festivals this one was one that they would have every seven years where they would gather all of the people together (laughs) I mean everybody and they would read the law they would read the instruction of the Lord and it says it was for their benefit that's crazy right but they're saying that they're to hear the word of the Lord they're to hear his instruction they're to hear his command that they may learn to fear God how cool is that to me, that is, uh, that's awesome. Turn with me to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, actually. And I, I'm going to turn here and actually read it out of this book that I'm talking about. I can get there. It's on page 128. <laughs> I must, I, must have a, I must have a small print or something like that because I'm only on 128. Y'all, y'all are old. You got those big old, like, large print Bibles. <laughs> I was just kidding. Noah, that was a joke to these guys. I understand some of us are more well advanced with wisdom, and we may require a large print Bible, and that's okay. <laughs> there's, there's this crazy thing, and... and uh, I think it highlights a scriptural example for us of someone that didn't finish well. That's found in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17. I'm going to read in verse 16. This was the instruction given to Israel in the law. Long before they ever had a king, God knew that they were going to want a king and that he was going to place a king over them. And so these were the instructions that God would give for the king of Israel. And here it is in verse 16. It says, The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth and silver and gold for himself. When he sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself this book of instruction or the law or the word of God on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. He must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. This regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above his fellow citizens. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. 
and it will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. So this is crazy, right? Essentially, the king, and I read that first part about the horses and the wives and the gold because we're going to look at a scriptural example here in a second, but the king would have to write down the entire law. So the first five books of the Bible, he would he'd be instructed to write that down in the presence of the Levitical priest to make sure that he was writing it down correctly and that he wasn't missing, messing anything up. And then the instruction was that he would read it every day for as long as he lived. Every day he had to spend time reading this instruction of the Lord. And right, and, and, and the, the, the promise would be that if he was faithful to do that, he would learn to fear the Lord and he would be equipped to obey what God had instructed him to do. Yet almost without fail, every one of the kings that we read about had some kind of mistake. Even David, right, who was like, man, he's our king, like he's the man after God's own heart. He had some royal mess ups that, can I tell you, wouldn't have happened if he would have obeyed this instruction here. And he actually knows that. We'll read Psalm 119, not all of it, here in a minute, where we look at some of his kind of findings about the word of the Lord. But I really took it interesting that in the context, I was just going to read uh, verse 18 here and the last part, but if we read that first part where there's this instruction that a king shouldn't assemble many horses for himself, he's not to take many wives, and he's not to store up a bunch of gold and silver, it immediately made me think of a man named Solomon. In fact, Solomon, we, we actually get probably the most instruction about what the fear of the Lord actually is from Solomon. And yet he was a man that missed out on it. At the end of his days, he was actually given away to idolatry. Because of what we read about here. He accumulated for himself many wives. Way too many wives. Way too many shoes. I don't know where he put them all. That's probably why he had to build such a big house. <laughs> a lot of concubines. And uh, a lot of wealth. In fact, he goes down as what scholars today would even estimate to be uh, more than likely one of the most wealthy monarchs in all of history. I mean, he had so much, there wasn't, he couldn't figure out what to do with it. These simple things, if he would have read, because this, it's crazy, because this little piece of instruction would have been what he had to write down and what he would have had to read eventually. But if he would have stayed faithful to the word of the Lord here, friends, if he would have remembered this, I wonder if he would have looked back on some of those uh, on some of these things and notice maybe some patterns in his life that weren't worth forfeiting his relationship with the Lord with. Most Bible scholars believe at the time of Solomon's death that he was probably worshiping other gods. Wow, that's so sad, right? Because he starts off really well. He starts with the greatest potential. I mean, he, God's speaking, whatever you want, Solomon, it's yours. And he asks to be the wisest Yes, for wisdom. God grants it to him. And even with all of his wisdom, he still missed out because he couldn't walk in simple obedience. And friends, I believe that if we're to keep the word of the Lord close, if we're to esteem it in the way that God intends for it to be held in our lives, if we're to maybe take this instruction, right? I mean, I could, I could whip out the fact that, you know, we're called to be a kingdom of priests, you're all kings. 
you all have the same instruction that you should be reading this book daily because there's life in it. And it's not like, man, you just need to read the Bible every day because, you know, it's good and you need to because of that and stuff, like because you're expected to or even that God wants you. Wow, that was, I guess I was trying to be stupid, but uh, (laughs) at the end of the day, we should be reading this book because it's alive and active and it's actually awesome. And it's something that stirs our heart to respond. And when we spend time in this book, I guarantee you, you'll want to spend more time with it. It's not this drudgery. It's not this difficult task. It may be a discipline at first, but I guarantee you, as you continue in the place of discipline, it'll eventually become a delight for you. And it'll be awesome. And it's something that we read for our benefit, not for God's. Eventually, he gets uh, glory and honor out of it, but... We read it because it's good. And I I would tell you, friends, read your Bible. You got that? Get what I'm saying there? Yeah, just just read it. I don't you can read any part of it. Like read all of it. Like front and back every day. I I don't care. Uh (laughs) if you can do that, you're like one of those crazy people that are I I don't even know if I could flip through every page of the Bible in a day. That would get a long time. Anyway, I'm saying all this to say, guys. If we want to grow in the fear of the Lord, it's going to begin with a healthy reverence of his word. And as we, as we begin to uh, hold this in right standing, it's going to transform how we view God and how we view his workings and everything around us when we look at him through the lens of holding this word as important. Turn with me to Psalm 119. A consistent theme here, and what we even read there in Deuteronomy chapter 17, is the fact that the fear of the Lord is so closely correlated with obeying his commandments. And uh, again and again and again and again throughout Scripture, and as we do some more teaching on the fear of the Lord, we're going to see the fact that it is very much... um, Related to obedience, if we fear God, we're going to obey him. If we fear God, we're going to be cautious about the things that we do. I'm not talking about being legalistic. I'm just talking about being holy. And there are going to be things that we allow in our lives and things that we don't. And if we want to live our lives victorious over sin through the, through the knowledge of the fear of the Lord here, um, it's going to have a foundational impact with his word. But I think one of the most awesome things, and as you read Psalm 119, you should read it um, in its entirety. And, uh, you know, that was actually going to be the practical homework that I was going to give for us this week. Is that every day this week, I want you to read at least a portion of Psalm 119. So by the time we get back here next week, that we have read through Psalm 119 in its entirety. Um, Or, if you're awesome, just read through it every day. Um, Once a day. It's not that long. You know, it's like two pages. You guys can do it. I, I trust in you. But I want you guys to meditate on this psalm uh, because it's really heavily centered around the word and the instruction of the Lord. We actually get to some awesome stuff about the fear of God in it, and it's great, um, and I love it. But that was my practical homework that I was going to get at the end of the evening, but I thought I'll just give it right now and uh, in case I forget because it's not in my notes. And we'll read Psalm 119. I'm just going to read uh, verses 9 through 16. Uh, because I feel like this is so um, integral to what we're talking about this evening. Uh, Proverbs 
uh, 8, uh, I think it's Proverbs 8.13 actually tells us that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Um, and uh, I'll be excited when we actually do teaching on that and what that means and we talk about. But essentially, when we fear God, we have a hatred of sin. When we fear God, we have, uh, we have this desire innately that we want to please God in everything that we do. And we want to live right before him. Those things can be synonymous with one another. And so Psalm 119, I love this because it really places an emphasis on what the word of God is to us living in the fear of the Lord and how important it is for us. Verses nine, or verse 9 says, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I've recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I have studied your commandments and reflected on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and forget not your word. It goes on to be good to your servant. That I might live and obey your word. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instruction. Oh, guys, this is so good. Do you hear the heart of David here as he's writing these things? He loves God's word. And he understands that if he's going to live rightly before God, it's going to be because he's hidden his word in his heart. It's because he's, he, he's developed an affection for his instruction, for his decrees, for his commandments. He's memorized them. He's recited them out loud. It's something that he wants to be integral to his relationship with God. And my, 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 simple, <laughs> my simple encouragement to us this evening is that as we grow in the fear of the Lord, Let's be intentional about developing a, a love for this book. Because his, his spirit speaks through it. His word is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's something that we need. Friends, if we were biblically proficient in the church in America, I don't think we'd have a problem with sin. I don't think we would have the same problem that we have with a lack of compassion. I don't think we would have uh, a lack of, uh, of people being involved in what God's doing. I think the Great Commission would be fulfilled so much quicker if we understood the importance of what he's already spoken. Too many people are so quick to want to hear the next great revelation from God whether it be from some prophetic voice or some new, new movement, that they forget that he's already actually spoken in his word. And I say that because I believe in prophecy. I believe in, in, in God's spirit speaking. I believe that he can speak truth to me uh, here in this moment that'll be just as real as what's in this book. It'll never contradict it, but I believe I can hear the voice of the Lord. And I believe that you have the ability to hear the voice of the Lord. And it can be affirmed by what he's already written. But so many of us get caught up on wanting someone to tell us what God's saying that we've not actually read what he's already said for himself. Does that make sense? You guys hear my heart there? And I believe that we, we actually do an injustice 
towards the Lord and towards the giftings of prophecy, towards the gifting uh, of, of even ministers that will carry a special anointing on their life where we want to hear something new from God when we've refused to actually read what he's already spoken. And you want to get revelation? If you want like one of those truth bombs, you want one of those revelation nuggets, read some of this book because every time I read it, I get something new. And it's good, friends. And uh, I would encourage you to do it for yourself. I love this, and this is what I'm going to end on. I've already chose, uh, I've already made up my mind, and I don't have to apologize because I got the microphone. I love um, what Jackie Pollinger talks about uh, when she talks about the, the church in America. So Jackie Pollinger, she has every authority to be a critique on the church in America because she left England uh, as a young girl and wound up in Hong Kong and has dedicated her life to those that are homeless, the drug addicts, the prostitutes, the mafia uh, in the walled city in Hong Kong. And I'm telling you, I read this, I read her stories. I listen to her speak and I feel like, man, I don't even love Jesus. What is this? So when I hear her make critiques and whatnot, I take note of them. And she's very gentle. She carries the spirit of the Lord. But she talks about us being spiritually constipated. And so you, you think of this, I mean, she's just this petite, old, older lady. Um, and uh, things that, I mean, very proper and like British, you know. So I just feel like there's like a level there of like fanciness that I don't, I will never understand. But she talks about us being spiritually constipated in the sense that we consume but nothing's flowing. <laughs> so get that as a mental picture. And we consistently want more. And we're asking God more, 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 more. And we're bloated with what the Lord. Oh, Teresa's telling me to stop. No, I'm going to keep going. It's great. And this is Sunday night. <laughs> we didn't take an offering, so I don't care. Um, I'm just kidding. Gosh, we are putting this on the podcast. So somebody's going to listen to this and be like, what kind of church is that? Um, but I think it's so true. Um, and I would just encourage us, friends, that we have no right to ask God to speak to us more if we've not done something with what he's already spoken. I think so many of us sit back and wonder why we don't hear from God. And we don't, we're not, we're not feeling him or we're not experiencing him is because we've not been faithful stewards of the last thing that he gave us. And friends, I, I, know, I know for a fact that there are people that sit in churches here in this city, friends, here in our community, just to scope it down, that sit in services week after week after week, that hear anointed teaching, hear anointed preaching, hear the word of the Lord and, and experience the power of his moving and sit still with hardened hearts and unyielding to do what the Spirit's asking them to do. And then they have the audacity to say that they're not being fed. Or they have the audacity to say that they don't hear God, God's not speaking to them. And I wonder, just wonder if maybe it's because we've not been faithful to do um, something with the last thing that he spoke to us. Does that make sense? And I think if we, if we continually to sit under godly anointing teaching and we refuse to move into action, eventually I believe he'll, our hearts will grow hardened to what he's actually speaking, will grow dull to what he's doing. And friends, I don't ever want that to happen. I want to be sensitive to his word. I want us to be sensitive to his leading. And I believe the primary way that we do that, the primary way, and the first and foremost, that's why I shared it first, that we grow in the fear of the Lord is by listening to his word, by reading his word, by, by ingesting it, and then doing something with what we've read. Doing something with what we've heard. 
letting it actually take root in our life and manifest action. That's where we experience fruit. That's where we experience change. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my friends in this room. Lord, I thank you that you are going to grow us in the fear of the Lord, in the knowledge of your word. And Lord, I'm asking that you'd give each and every one of us a desire, Lord, to know your word more. Lord, in the same way that David would talk about hiding your word in his heart, Lord, we want to hide your word in our heart. Lord, we want to recite your decrees. Lord, we're asking that you would open up our eyes to see wonderful and marvelous things in your word. For those of us maybe that feel like reading the Bible is drudgery, Lord, or it's some kind of burden, Lord, I'm asking that even as they read Psalm 119 this week, that it would come alive like never before, that your spirit, Lord, would breathe upon what you've written and that it would come alive, that it would transform us. Lord, we, we already know your word is alive, so we're asking that you would just uh, you would do what only you can do and cultivate a hunger for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon. Thank you.